Thank you, God, for the freedom you give us in Jesus and Jesus Christ, and that we can celebrate a death that turned into life, into eternal life. God, we are so grateful. Thank you for that love. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Well, thank you to the worship team. So appreciate them, people that come and give so much of their time. And, and uh, anyways, big thank you. Well, today we are continuing with the creed. And um, today, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. Making you smile? See, last week we got to hear about the amazing miracle of the virgin conception and, and the birth of Jesus, which was awesome. And today we get to spend our time focusing on suffering. Yeah, like I say, putting a smile on your face and you're ready to take some good notes here as we go through. I was going to tell a joke about suffering to kind of get things started on a lighter note, you know, to get some laughs in early. I, I enjoy humor as a part of communication. Uh, to be honest, as I prepared in the last couple weeks for today, there's just not a lot of humor in it. So I thought, hey, a good joke to get things started, we'll laugh, and then we'll get into the <clears throat> deeper stuff. And, you know, there's just not a whole lot of jokes out there about suffering. <laughs> it's kind of funny that way. Uh, so we're just going to kind of let it go. The couple I came up with would be just groaners, and you'd want to throw something at me. So we're just going to let it go, and you can laugh at me right now, and then we'll move on. And, and certainly there'll be opportunities to smile in our time together. But um, this was a, um, a tough week for me. <laughs> I've been a believer since I was very little, a follower of Jesus, and, and I think if maybe some of you have been in the church a long time, and we kind of get used to hearing about suffering and the crucifixion and the cross, and we kind of get there, yeah, yeah, I get that, great, and now what? And so to kind of go back and live right there and dig deep and research, and, and not just intellectually but emotionally, um, was tough. And, um, you know, maybe God will take you a little bit there this morning. It's not just about the emotion, but I believe emotions are a part of our experience with God and a part of our life. And so... Um, Today, if you're new, it's not always this heavy and not always this, you know, it's going to get a little bit somber and, and, you know, difficult today. At the same time, it's wrapped around amazing things and amazing purpose, so there is definitely light in the process, but um, this, was, this was tough in the, uh, in the preparation. Because we almost have a Good Friday service here today, you know, the day where you recognize Jesus' crucifixion, and, but we don't go on to Easter until next week. Uh, when Jesus is raised, that's the next part of the creed, and we'll focus on that next week. So I really get to camp in on the, the what leads up to the cross. And so I'm excited but intimidated. First of all, intimidated because this is the most important story and the most important message of all time. So I see that as a huge responsibility on my part. Next, uh, is, uh, it can be intimidating because many of you have heard it before. And uh, I, I guess I just my prayer is that you won't tune out and miss it. You know, oh, yeah, that again. And that maybe we can find something new or grab a hold of something in a real way that God would enliven our hearts. And that's my prayer again today. The words of the creed that we're focusing on today, they're really important and they are to the point. And like many creeds, uh, statements like that, they, they skip the emotion and they kind of gloss over the detail and really the color, which we'll flesh out a bit today, but they're just right to the point. And we're going to unpack those words and, and add some flesh to the bones in a minute. But I want to start by really building a frame. I'm almost going to bring up a big picture frame and put something on it or, or maybe put a frame around the outside of the slides to help us remember that everything that we talk about today, all the issues that come up, what Jesus did, what he went through, um, it's all framed by the fact that Jesus did all of this because he loves you. 
okay? Jesus loves me so much that he did all this. Jesus loves me. Now, if you want to follow along in your outline, here's your first fill in the blank. There aren't a whole lot today, but the frame for today, and I'm going to remind you again and again, is that Jesus loves me. That's why all this happened. He wasn't a victim. It wasn't circumstance. It wasn't total, just it is going to get somber today in, in times, but this was not, uh, oh, what a, what a bad deal. I can't believe this happened. This was, this was choice, and we'll talk about that. So after you write in Jesus loves me, I want you to look up, and I want you to repeat after me. Jesus loves me. Say it. Jesus loves me. Now, I want you to say it again. I want you to put the emphasis on the word me. Ready? Real strong on me. Here we go. Jesus loves me. Okay, that's a little different emphasis, huh? Both very true. It's the identity of Jesus and that he loves, but that Jesus loves me, and you could even put your name in there. Everything we talk about today happened because Jesus loves me. Me, great. And so enter in as many times today as you want to to say that. So let's look at the words of the creed in detail. And all we're going to do really today is look at these words a couple at a time and unpack them as Scripture reveals what they are. So first of all, it says that we'll dive right into the good stuff. Jesus suffered. Now, it says he suffered under Pontius Pilate, uh, and we'll get to Pontius Pilate in a minute. We're going to look at the suffering, but I wanted to add to that. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Okay, that's kind of weird. How many of you choose to suffer? Like, oh, good, I want to suffer today. But this is a willing choice he made. We'll talk about that in a minute. I want to frame it that way. Um, and, and so we're going to take a look at the actual suffering of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to me that the creed that we're covering jumps from last week we talked about that Jesus was um, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of, of the Virgin Mary. And then we jump ahead 30-plus years to these few days right before the, the crucifixion and the, and the end of his physical first, you know, the lifetime here. Almost as if these 30, one, two, three years didn't happen. And isn't that the good stuff? I mean, these are all good things, but it's like all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a little bit at the beginning of several of those gospels, and then all of them talk about the crucifixion and resurrection. But all those tons and tons of chapters and verses are about his, he walked with us, he taught us, he worked all these miracles, lots of miracles, raised people from the dead, walked on water, fed the people, cured diseases, healed the blind, on and on, and he taught great things. And he, uh, That's not even mentioned in the creed here. We just kind of went and right to the end through that process. Jump of 30-some-odd years years. And, and so I think this situation, though, is that the suffering of Jesus really describes his life from birth to, this, to death, his entire life. It's almost a one-word story of his life, in a sense. Um, and so I want to talk about that suffering. It, it happened at a number of levels and really started back at his birth, or maybe even at his conception, because you see, a God till at this point, who was all everything, all power, all everywhere, all knowing, all, chose because he loves me, to limit himself, and even, even into a womb. Uh, you know, and we've all been there. I personally don't remember it, but, uh, you know, my time there. But that's limiting, you know. So for the first time, he says, for a period of nine months, I'm going to grow in Mary's, inside of Mary, right? And, and go through this birthing process, and so it's limiting. And yes, that's a, suffer, a suffering that happens from the very beginning. It's suffering for God to take on the form of man, right? That's just what's there, that, that for us, we think this is life, and it isn't a great life. Maybe sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, but it's a big deal for a perfect, limitless God to limit himself in that way. You see, for the first time, he had physical limitations. A God had never experienced pain, now experienced pain. Did Jesus ever 
stub his toe walking around or get hit by something accidentally or working the carpentry shop. I don't know if, you know, Jesus ever hit his hand, you know, thumb with a hammer or something. Ouch, you know, but something fell on him. He got hurt in the process. Did Jesus got tired for the first time. God had never experienced fatigue. He'd never experienced hunger. All these sorts of things that are part of the human condition that are suffering, all of a sudden are part of his life. Every single day of his life during that time. So this is, this is a big deal. This meant also, talk about suffering, limiting himself to not accessing his, what I'll call his godhood, all the omnis we talk about. So this is important to understand this theologically. Jesus didn't stop being God. In fact, if you want to be right on, you, you don't say God became man. That's transformation. God took on the form of man. Is, is a theological accurate way to say that. Some of you are interested, some who don't care. But God took on the form of man because he remained fully God. He chose to, the Bible tells us, to not access all of his omnis, his godhood. It's almost like, this is a goofy way, but for me it's always worked like he just sticks all the omnis in his back pocket and says, my all-knowing and my all-power and all those sorts of things. That's still me. It, I can't not be that. I'm fully God, but I'm just going to put it in my back pocket and not do it. So, in fact, when Jesus worked his miracles, when Jesus did all those things, when he had those pieces of knowledge talking to the woman at the well, it wasn't him. It was the Holy Spirit working in him. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that's inside of you. The Holy Spirit worked the miracles through Jesus. He did not pull. He did not access. He limited himself. It was suffering to say, I'm not going to to act as God, even though I'm God. I'm not going to access those things. Does that make sense? Okay, so another piece of suffering then in all of that is that there was a change in, a, in the level of closeness with God the Father. Up until that point, we don't understand how that works. How can one God be in three and there's this relationship and yet they're one and yet they're distinct persons and all that. But there was a closeness, an intertwined, an amazingness. And Jesus said, I'm going to forgo that for a season. While I go through all the things of the hunger and the fatigue and the pain and all that, I'm also going to have to reach out to God the Father and pray to you, God, who's, who's no longer as close to me. My, my eternity past has been in close, close, intimate union, a union with God the Father, and it's not now. Folks, that's suffering. That, that, that's suffering that began point of conception on through here that we see. So there's this huge suffering that leads up to the cross, and, and, uh, and now let's go ahead and, and take a look at the next step here. I just wanted to cover all those 30-plus years of life. Matthew 16, 21 to 23 says, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, there it is, many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He's basically saying, this is what's coming up, and, and I know it's coming up, and I'm doing it willingly. Remember the choice? And uh, it goes on, though, to say, I didn't stop there because I want to make a point of this. Peter then takes him aside, good old Peter, one of his followers, and, and the real loudmouth one, and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus and saying, no way, Lord, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And he says it with a raised voice. It's Peter, after all. You know, he's kind of like, no way, you're wrong here because Jesus is so often wrong, right? No. So, uh, but, and then it says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, Peter has a new nickname all of a sudden. At least in a moment. He's basically saying, this, 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 this idea you came from is not from you, it's from the devil. You are, I love this, I mean, I hate it, but I love it. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, folks, this is, he's emphasizing his own choice. He's saying, this doesn't sound good to you. Frankly, it doesn't sound good to me, but it's what God wants. It's what I want as part of God. This is choice. So pipe down over here, you little Satan dude, <laughs> you know, for that moment there. 
So here's the deal with Jesus' suffering, because we know that he had to die for us. We'll talk more about that, but, but why the suffering part? Couldn't it just been like, wouldn't quick and painless have done the same thing? Well, see, here's the deal with the suffering. It demonstrates Jesus' full embrace of our human condition. Okay, he didn't, I'm, he, he didn't say, I'm going to come... I'm going to come down to earth, take on the form of man, and then I'm going to put a bubble around me to just kind of insulate myself from all the bad things that are out there. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to say, bummer for you that you experience it, but I don't want to do that. He was right there in the midst of it, his full embrace of our human condition. So let me ask you, how many of you have suffered today or maybe in the last few weeks, even the last few months in some way? Anybody had some suffering in their life? Yeah, right. So look around, everybody. A couple of people like, it would suffer me too much to raise my hand right now. So, you know, it's just there. I've had so much suffering. Jesus didn't live his life safely above all that. He chose to enter into the human, fully enter into the human struggle that we all face. He, and, and he persevered and triumphed in spite of that suffering, which prompts us and calls us and really empowers us to do the same. He says, yes, suffering's a part of this, and yet look what can happen when you persevere. When we look at the suffering that Jesus did leading up to the cross, he warned his disciples about it, told Peter to you know, be quiet about it. We look way before the cross happens when the, when the um, guards come to arrest him in the garden. I don't think they did it gently and said, excuse me, Jesus, follow me this way, right? He gets grabbed. He gets thrown around. The whole thing happens, and, and then it just goes from there. And he gets arrested. There's beatings along the way. He gets slapped in the face multiple times. The, the beatings, and again, folks, I don't want to get too much into it today. Some of you have heard lots about it. It could take the whole time. But the beatings were extreme, up, up to one, one step short of death, typically 40 lashes and then let somebody die, and they did 39. This wasn't just with a, like a bullwhip that we'd seen. It, would, it was a device that would literally wrap around the body with pieces of, of bone and metal wrapped to the ends. It would dig into the flesh, and then they'd yank it out. So the impact was bad. The pulling away was worse. And the people that did it were pros. Their job was to kill you. So he has exposed, probably exposed organs even through his body. This is before the, even the walk to the cross going on. Oh, let me see. Why did he do this again? Because Jesus loves me. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. We hear about the crown of thorns a whole lot. And that's like, oh, yeah, and we even glamorize it. So we have maybe a picture on our wall or whatever else like that. I had a chance when I went to Uganda in 2006. We have another team coming up in January, by the way, our 13th. But the first time we went, I saw for the first time what something like this can actually look like. We found some vines that we cleared away from the orphanage. And uh, they were, um, I, I, it just, it was like the day before we left and my eyes got big. And I said, I'm going to wind this thing up and do a crown. It was, it's stiff now um, and, and can really hurt you. But I went, I've always, you know, stickers are stickers and thorns are little things, but I've always heard they were long, but I actually had a chance to see. And, and uh, so I brought this back. I chanced getting, I don't think they would have arrested me at Customs, but they could have confiscated it because it's, it's um, <laughs> vegetable material, right? Don't bring plant life back. So I broke the rules. Sorry, guys. But a couple of us did that and we prayed about it, but God, God allowed it through in the process, right? <clears throat> see some laughter. We can get there. But uh, can you imagine, and, and this isn't like, ooh, careful, Jesus sent that, that on his head. It was probably many more times around, and then it's put on, and then it's typically beaten on. We want it to dig into your scalp so it stays on, because we don't want it falling off. It's not perched precariously. And, uh, you know, this is just one small part, but sometimes it's helpful for me to actually touch, like, these are, these are needles, I just got to tell you. Um, I, it's up in my office on the walls. It dropped by sometime if you want to take a look at it and see that this was, again, a chance for me to go, Jesus, you did this and you chose this because you wanted to connect with my suffering. 
why did you have to suffer way more than I ever have? But that was his choice to do that. He was stripped, he was mocked, he was spit on. It just went on and on in the process. The emotional, the internal suffering that happened, I believe, was bigger than the physical. Certainly as a man, the internal things that go on inside. Isaiah 53, 3 says, that, speaking about, it's prophecy, by the way, many, many, many hundreds of years before Jesus. And he writes this, speaking about Jesus ahead of time. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. <laughs> And as one from whom men hid their, hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Did you catch that one little pronoun in there? We esteemed him not. Not just they, folks. It's not just about them, those bad guys from 2,000 years ago. That's a we. That's each one of us in the process. But we see this, this being despised, this rejection, the humiliation, the rejection. It was beyond belief and beyond what any of us have ever experienced because we've, we've had shame. We've had some rejection, humiliation in our lives. Nothing like this. Nothing to this extent. You see Judas, one of his closest followers, he handpicks 12 to be his posse, to travel with him for years and to see and experience and get his teaching. And then he betrays him. Oh, yeah, with that little kiss and get some, get some money out of the deal, you know. So he gets betrayal, and he gets abandonment. All the other followers run away. So, hey, I've got nobody here. He's got false accusation after false accusation from important people. And there literally is hate that is pointed at him. He who knows no hate. Who, he who hates no one has the hate of the world pointed on him. The suffering that's going on while the physical suffering is external, internal is amazing. And again, I have to stop and say, wow, all of this because Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. The creed goes on to say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And uh, over the years, many people have asked, why Pontius Pilate is he mentioned in the creed, right? I mean, Mary is the only other person mentioned, and that makes sense, mother of Jesus. But Pontius Pilate, I mean, he's a bad guy. He's a total loser. He's a creep. He's a negative character. He doesn't deserve to have his name verbalized millions of times over the centuries, right, in the Apostles' Creed. Well, see, mentioning Pilate in the Creed ties it, first of all, to actual specific history. That's why it's important that it's there. See, to talk about Jesus and at a time when people weren't recording a whole lot of history, except people who knew they were viewing things that were important and they wrote things down, which we have in the Bible, but uh, this puts specific flesh on the bones of history. It's not just general ideas of once upon a time something cool happened, you know, or, or um, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right, Star Wars kind of stuff. It's, it's a very specific thing. We know from other historical sources that Pilate was the governor of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. He had a 10-year run right in the middle or towards the end of that was Jesus' time. Uh, historians tell us that he is not a major character, Pontius Pilate. We know very little else about him. Uh, and what you see in the Bible helps you understand why. He wasn't very good at what he did. He was weak. He was, he was self-lifting uh, up. He was very selfish. And uh, he was simply the one who washed his hands of Jesus and issued the passive-aggressive aggressive death penalty. How's that for a legacy? Yeah, not too many of you out there bragging, yeah, I'm a descendant of Pontius Pilate. <laughs> yeah, doesn't go, does it? Like, I don't want to be, I want to be as distant from that guy as possible. Mentioning Pilate, but beyond tying it to actual true history here and really legitimizing that, it also emphasizes the fact that the whole world rejected Jesus. You see, it says Jesus got rejected by Nazareth, the town he grew up in, because no prophet is honored in his hometown. And Jesus rejected by the Jews, most of the Jews, and certainly the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, all those people. 
But it isn't just them. That's the Jewish world. The Gentile world, which is non-Jews, also in Pontius Pilate takes that step. The Romans, that's what kind of sealed the deal for Jesus' death from Pontius Pilate. The Romans saw Jesus at least partially as a threat to stability in that region. Not for overthrowing Rome, but stability in that region. So Pilate really represents the whole Gentile community, the whole Gentile world in condemning Jesus. We all did it together. We all did it together. And it's interesting that Pilate acts as an authority of Rome, a real powerful character, but he's also the pawn. A powerful character in his position, but he's also a pawn in God's plan to save the world. You know, he thinks he's a big shot. I love this in John 19. It's in the right towards the end. Pilate's interviewing Jesus again. He's asked Jesus questions. Jesus answers. He asks Jesus questions. Jesus answers. This is, this is well along in things. And so finally Jesus just stops answering questions. You know, it's kind of like, let's just get to it, whatever's going on. And Pilate then says in John 19, says, Pilate said to him, speaking to Jesus, you will not speak to me because Jesus isn't answering. You know, how dare you? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? (laughs) And Jesus does answer then and says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. (laughs) He's saying, Pilate, you're no big shot. You have a role to play given to you by God who has authority over you. I suffer under you for a short season here, but one day your knee will bow before me. You will bow before me, as all will, one day, uh, certainly after your death, if not sooner. And, um, and that's what's going on. Pontius Pilate is used by God in a, for, a, for a short little season. Well, the next words of the creed is that Jesus was crucified. Okay, he suffered his whole life, but suffering under Pontius Pilate. Jesus was crucified then. And that simply means that he was not just executed, but tortured and executed on the cross So I want to talk about the cross a little bit. You see, for those who have been in church a lot, the cross is almost a comfortable thing to look at, an easy thing to talk about. A bunch of us are wearing them around our necks, a bracelet, a watch, on the cover of our Bible or whatever. And um, um, it's something that we celebrate because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross. And that's fine. I mean, we have one up in the corner of our church here that's lit up, just kind of as a reminder. We have that beautiful one out front in our water feature out there, the fountain and stuff. I mean, that really identifies a, a Christian church. And all that's great, but I think we've lost sight of what it really was. And, and um, the, the torture instrument that it was, not just the death instrument, It frankly was the most barbaric, horrific form of execution that mankind has known perhaps of all time. So horrific an execution and torture, it was designed to not just kill a person, but to put as much pain as possible on a person for as long of an extended time as possible. Largely so it would be a deterrent. You see, if you could see somebody tortured to the point of death that went on so long and the agony continue in so many ways and just be so horrendous, horrific, that you'd go, I don't want to make that same mistake he did. And it was very, and very public execution. But again, not just execution, but torture in that process. You see the crucifixion process and you say, I'm, I'm not going there. Well, the significance of the, pop, of the cross, first of all, it was a punishment for the very least, the very worst and the lowest of criminals and people. You know, you had to do something really, really heinous to get crucified. There are a lot of ways to kill somebody. You should just cut off their head, be done with it, right? That's the bad guy. That was John the Baptist, cut off the head and move on, right? So why the cross for Jesus? You see, part of it was death by crucifixion would imply to people that were there, but people that even just would hear about it, that, oh, Jesus, you're saying he was a Messiah, but wasn't he crucified? I mean, crucifixion is for the very worst of the worst. There's no way that, 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 that he could have been the Messiah. You see, 
they figured that there's no way that people are going to respect him or remember him, let alone glamorize him because of the crucifixion and because of the cross. It was so, so shameful that it didn't work out that way, did it? All of a sudden, we celebrate it 2,000 years later as a decoration. And folks, appropriately so, I'm not saying don't do it. But understand when you look at the cross, yes, it's a smile on the love of Jesus because Jesus loves me. But it's also the agony that he chose to go through as part of his death because he loves us so much. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that was the purpose, his love and joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame. There it is. He endured the cross, the incredible long time, and then despising the shame that was there, saying, I'm going to do this, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, what it was physically, it was the very worst torture. You see, the the Romans at the time put the worst sadists that they could find into the role of a, a crucifier, a designer in a sense. And they really would say, what variables can I introduce to crucifixion to make it even worse? Can I make it last longer? Can I make it more painful? I want to make this even worse. And I get paid for this. So the really sicko people literally were doing this. And so crucifixion was designed and developed and tweaked. And I wonder what happens. Maybe we could try somebody. Let's put them upside down. Oh, that killed them too quickly. Uh, Maybe we can put them on an X so that instead of having one place where they can uniformly, I'll talk in a second about breathing with their feet, that they're actually spread and it's hard to get leverage. They actually designed for a little period of time, some people, a little small seat, a little wooden, not you couldn't really sit on it, but just enough you could kind of sit on it. So as you're trying to breathe, you can rest a tiny bit. And the point of that is you're not going to live. It's just going to make you live longer. It's going to make your torture last longer. Guys who had fun doing this, smiling, ooh, let's try this. Is this sick or what? So Jesus gets to be involved in all of this. And um, typically the crucifixion, the condemned man had to carry the crossbar, a heavy beam that he would carry. Jesus started to do that. He had been beaten so badly he couldn't. So they had to get somebody else to carry it for him. So carry your own part of the cross up to where it's going to be. You lie down, the cross gets nailed together, and then they, they put nails through your wrists. Through your hands, they would just tear out. So they go through your wrists. This shouldn't be easy to hear, by the way. Put your feet together and drive one nail through both of your feet strategically so that you can lift yourself up to breathe and then sag back down in pain. It hurts like crazy to put your weight on your feet, but you've got to do it or you can't breathe when you're down. So you're going to come up here to breathe and then sag down. You're in agony. Thorn of crown still on. Jesus has been stripped naked. He's now got nails and blood all over the place, but someone on the cross doesn't die of blood loss. They die of asphyxiation. They finally can't breathe when they lose so much strength that they can't force themselves up to take another breath. And Jesus looks out and sees his mother Mary and John the disciple. And Jesus looks out and sees a world that's mocking him and judging him and says, I'm doing this because I love you and I choose to. The cross is dropped into the hole that's torn upon him and and then the agony begins. Jesus had been beaten to a pulp. We talked about that, and now all those raw wounds, every time he moves on the cross, just reopens the blood and the, 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 the horrible scene that's there. With each breath, each breath and physical movement, it would, it would reopen and re-tear the wounds of the beating. Nightmare-inducing, really. Um, and I remember the frame. He did it because he loves me. Jesus loves me. I keep, keep that frame up when you when you start to dive into this. Now, this fourth part of the creed we're looking at today, 
that Jesus died and was buried and descended to the dead. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and he died and was buried. He did indeed truly physically die. Now, some people work hard to doubt this. You see, if Jesus didn't really die, then he couldn't have risen from the dead. So they're going to work really hard to try to prove or at least not believe that he died. And uh, so they can cast doubt on Jesus. Only Jesus' death is the only thing that makes sense in the context of history here, in a sense. Uh, You see, crucifixion was torture to the death. That was the point. Now, they went to the criminals on both sides of Jesus and broke their legs because after a bunch of hours of watching people struggle and struggle and people kind of lose interest, they've gone away or whatever. Now the Romans are like, let's just get this over with. Let's go break their legs so they don't have the, it, it hurts even more. They really can't even lift themselves up much longer, so they're not going to live much longer. Except they get to Jesus and they see he's already dead. So they don't have to break his legs. In fact, to be sure, they shove the spear into his side. It says, and out comes blood and water, the sign of a broken heart, medically. And uh, they realize he's dead. They don't have to break his legs. Now, ooh, he's not dead. He's faking it, some people have claimed. It's pretty obvious when someone's dead on the cross, if they aren't doing this periodically and breathing, they're dead. Having the spear shoved in, they're dead. The beatings and on and on. Very obvious. Now, we talk about death. Death is really the penalty for sin. I see the sinner has offended God has separated himself from God with his sin and he deserves to die. That's every single one of us. And Romans 6.23 starts by saying that the wages of sin is death. That's the cost of sin. So Jesus, the sinless one, the only one who never sinned, he died and willingly received the judgment, the penalty for sin, but not for his own sin because he didn't have any, but the penalty for your sin and for my sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He says, I'm going to get rid of the separation. I'm going to take your sin on me and bring you back to God. So for the follower of Jesus, physical death is no longer a payment for sin. I've got to die. and It's not a payment for sin. It's really a transfer from mortal life into eternity. It's kind of like the beam me up Scotty in a sense, but better. You know, it's a transfer And that's the ultimate good news, the sacrifice of Jesus because he loves us means we can live forever with God. So after Jesus died, um, you know, Jesus was buried, it says. And so the Bible tells us that Joseph Joseph of Arimathea gives Jesus' body a burial fitting for the rich. He died as a total bottom-of-the-barrel scum criminal. And yet the moment he dies and he's treated like a king, hmm, He gets a burial fit for the rich in this beautiful tomb that Joseph of Arimathea provides. See, usually criminals' bodies on the cross, they were torn down off the cross, nails pulled out. They were just, this is gruesome. The bodies are thrown out on the trash heap outside of Jerusalem. Dogs will eat at them, whatever. Birds will come and whatever they'll do. That's just, that's what they deserve. So Jesus, that not only doesn't that happen, but he gets buried, and he gets buried in a rich way. His body is embalmed. He's in a rich person's tomb. His body is anointed. He's wrapped up tightly. Jesus was killed like a criminal of the worst sort, and yet he was buried like the rich. Now, Brian mentioned it early. It says he descended to the dead, and, and, and some of the earlier versions of the creed said that he descended to hell. What does that really mean? And... Um, and what really happened to Jesus? He really did die, 
But um, here's what I can tell you. The Bible isn't totally clear, but I, I want to clear some things up. First of all, Jesus was left to hang on the cross during that time to actually take the fullness of all of our sins on his body. Talk about a struggle, right? Talk about suffering. There he was forsaken, condemned by our sin, and cut off by God. That was choice to say this separation from God. That brings the very torment of hell. Even as Jesus died, there was separation like there had never been between him and God the Father because of our sin. Did Jesus spend those three days in hell? Not likely. Not likely. Let me throw out some ideas for you. First of all, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the one criminal puts his faith in Jesus, and Jesus turns to him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Did you get it? Today, paradise, with God in heaven. Also, as Jesus dies, he says, Into your hands. He's talking to God the Father. He's still laden with sin. As I die, as the sin, as the sin goes to hell, and does Jesus physically take it there? I don't know. Into your hands, I, I commit my spirit. My spirit is going to go to you. So we have that as evidence there. Um, here's what the best that we figure that he could, that he did do. The Bible says that even physically, some people that had been dead rose out of their graves when Jesus, the curtain, the curtain was split in the temple. I, I got to, it's going to get too long, but all sorts of things happened, but including the fact that the people of faith before Jesus' time were in a place, not in heaven. And I don't have time to go into it, but as Jesus then died, did he go down and take these people now to be with him up in heaven? Did he deposit sin down in hell? Did he, there's a passage in First Peter that talks about, did he actually descend and proclaim his victory to the fallen angels that had been condemned and were in a holding place there and basically say, I won? And, you know, God's, God's won the victory, as you knew he always would through that process. All of these things potentially were there, but, but um, the suffering ended as he died, and, and the, king, the kingdom began. So bottom line, because here's a whole bunch of information to throw at you. This is your last little bit. He did all of this because he loves us. He loves you. We said that again and again. So, and let me, do, do any of you think you deserve this sacrifice, this suffering and all this? Boy, I, I know we don't, right? So it's a rhetorical question here. So, so somewhere, I, I put down in this last little thing, remember the frame. Jesus did this because he loves me, and you get to write that down again because I think it's pretty important. And my response is it to go, Wow. Well, wow is nice, but it's not one of those lines to fill in the blank because wow is, a, is kind of a guttural mm, response that says, but so what? And, and so I, I'm pretty certain that, that all of this means I should do something. And so it would start with just simply gratitude. I think at some point, maybe at every point of my breathing life, I would say thank you, thank you, thank you <laughs> for doing this, for choosing to do this because you love me even though I don't deserve it. And then beyond gratitude comes submission when I say, I've got to just get down. I've got to bend my knee or get down on my knees and submit to a God who loves me this much to say thank you. And I want to submit to you and I want to live for you. It leads into the next one, which is worship. The love you give me, I want to express that love back to you and worship in my life. Not just my singing, but the way I live my life. How could I do any less? How could I really do any less in light of what I've just seen? And maybe, just maybe, it's a renewed purpose and commitment to tell somebody else, to tell others. Because I only heard it because I came to a church like this, or from my parents, or from whatever your story is. There's someone else in your world, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your household, 
who needs to hear this? Who needs to know how much Jesus loves you and, and not just, oh yeah, the cross, that's something that some people wear as a decoration. That's my response to a God who loves me so much and has suffered for me and died for me to be able to give me forgiveness for my sins. Now next week we get to talk about the resurrection, which is the party time. This is a little bit of a party here too, even though it's surrounded by death, it's victory. The victory was won at the cross. And oh, I want to have gratitude. I want to have submission. I want to have worship. And I want to be bold and loving enough to tell somebody in the right way in the right time. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today and for your love, your love for me, your love for us. You didn't have to do it. I, I, I want to be reminded of that, Lord. You didn't have to do it. Well, but thank you that you did. And Father, I pray that it would mark my life, not just because I gave my life to you and you are in me, Holy Spirit, but then you are changing my life from within so that I say thank you and submit to you. You remake me and you motivate me and you lead me and you guide me. That worship starts happening and people see that and then I can tell people about you. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You maybe have heard this for the first time or maybe you've heard this for the hundredth time, but you've never responded. Jesus loves you so much. He went through all this and more to offer you new life, forgiveness, and eternal life, and you simply receive it by saying, I believe, by asking for forgiveness, you, confessing, admitting that you're a sinner, that you've blown it, you've made mistakes, you've strayed from God. And then ask him to lead your life. The God who loves you more than anything wants to lead you in his ways. Father, just thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.